0: This episode of Blue Shirts Breakaway is brought to you by our Patreon subscribers. Could not do without ya! Tell you every single week, appreciate you so much. If you want to become a subscriber for Blue Shirts Breakaway, you can go to patreon.com slash Breakaway right now and sign up. a supporter. Buy me and Greg a beer. Inadvertently. Support the next batch of merch, etc. Thanks for everyone for sticking around for the off-season. Welcome to the Summer of Nonsense. Today, we talk about ranking players with report cards. Uh, I'm sure that Greg talks about the Mets at some point, And then at the end of the podcast, we talk, of course, Game of Thrones at endgame. But I will warn you when it happens. Don't worry. Here we go. Hey, Bushroom offense. Welcome to another week of the Bushers Breakaway. I am your host, Ryan Mead, and I'm here with my co host, Greg Kaplan. Greg, say hello.
1: You know what? I'm really disappointed in general that we didn't do an NFL draft preview like we usually do.
0: Is it because the Giants exist?
1: Yes, it's 100% because of the Giants. <laughs>
0: We usually do like a really like quick preview, though. It's not like in depth. It's not like we're the most like. You're way more into the draft than I was. I actually didn't even know who any of the players were this year, like at all.
1: I knew who the players were for whatever reason. I just wasn't really into it this year. I don't. I don't know. I don't know. We we've talked about this. Oh boy, Phil Simms, real early. Wow, early Uh, in the Phil Simmsing. (laughs) But we have discussed this off pod. Just wondering if things from this weekend were overshadowed because of. Endgame and Game of Thrones lingering out there all at the same time.
0: My my first reaction to this weekend was like, I don't think we're ever going to get another mono monoculture weekend like this in the next couple years. I really just don't see it happening. Because not only did you have, uh, of course, the NHL playoffs, which were happening, which I, I'm not sure. Uh, people listening to this podcast care, but I don't know how many people outside of it hap- happening do care. But Endgame, Game of Thrones, and Warriors, uh, Rockets Game 1 were all like, Pretty big monoculture things, and I wonder, I wonder if we're ever gonna have something that will ever top that. Many yeah, years it, building it. Up the to only this. thing,
1: the only thing, movie-wise that could come close is Episode Nine of Star Wars. Right? It's not even coming but, close, though. No, because all I, I, I don't want to speak for everybody, but a lot of people in our lives, it kind of feels like, all right, let's get this over with with Star Wars. Whereas Endgame, all of us were counting down the days.
0: Yeah, Endgame, I, mean, I was like...
1: Counting down the days to Star Wars.
0: Because everyone loved Infinity War. Like, it was very, you were very hard-pressed to find anyone that was like, man, Infinity War was terrible. And by the way, we won't be talking spoilers, just in case you're listening and like, I don't want to listen to spoilers. Uh, we'll be talking Rangers and a bunch of other nonsense in a fu- couple minutes here, or rather soon. But at the around the 40-minute mark, we're going to do all Game of Thrones and Endgame in that order. We'll give you a big warning. So get ready for that. But yes, people were ex- excited about Infinity War, and it turned out to exceed expectations. Then Endgame blew everything out of proportion and was one of the best movies of all time. We'll get to that later. That was a hot Agreed. take, I think. Um, but today in Rangers news... Oh, oh, wait, did you want to finish your your uh, Mr... What's his name? David... No, what is the guy's name? Daniel, Daniel Jones? Daniel Jones. Yeah, it's, man. Jeez. It,
1: it's not so... It's just... It's fascinating when a New York sports franchise not named the New York Mets is the one fucking things up. And I can take Martin. a step back and really process it and just really ask the question, "How do I do this to myself when this happens to my team?" because there's just no defending the taking him at six, yeah, and, and it's david get Gettleman has been just doubling down every day since then, going as I think today his thing was um he blamed reactionary culture to everything going on and how. It's a shame the world is like this now. I think was one of his quotes. Boy. It's like, bro,
0: I got news for you, dude. Everyone's you a But <laughs> you it, were when you were like watching football man, 30 you years ago, people thing. didn't know. Yeah, people didn't know this. Like if you picked Mr. Jones like what? 1990, people wouldn't know like you'd have like some sports illustrated profile and like he's tall, he's white, he looks good in shorts and then you would be like, "Oh yeah, good guy. He's probably going to be a good quarterback." I don't know anything else. People care way too much now and are going to call you out in your bullshit. The Ringer had him ranked 100 and only because they forced him to put it on. Like just an unbelievable pick at number six, especially when he absolutely would have been there at 17, which makes, boy, we're not a Giants podcast, but that is a blunder among
1: blunders. And, to all no, your- and it's, it's one of those things where it's just so much more information is available now. It's, I, we can watch every college football game we want to, including games that aren't at the division one level. Those are all available to you. So everyone took a step back and said, this year's quarterback class isn't good. It's probably two quarterbacks deep. And then maybe you can talk yourself into Drew Locke. Nobody, literally nobody was talking themselves into Daniel Jones except the New York Giants. And it's just a fascinating thing to watch.
0: Absolutely. And for all you Giants fans listening, I just have two words to say to you. That's Capo Caco! Congratulations! And welcome to staying with the Rangers because you're going to be miserable with the Giants. That's for sure. Uh, speaking of Kapokako, or at, rather, speak of the devil, Kapokako. See what I, did there? Uh, no, I see
1: what
0: you did there? Yeah, okay, very nice. Thank you, Ryan. Uh, how sure are we? Because there was there was some Twitter uh, little beef between the Rangers and Devils that the Devils are going to pick Jack Hughes. Like for me, I'm a hundred percent. But I've seen people be like, I don't know, if they could pick Kapokako at the last second. I just don't see that happening, especially with Hughes and the way he's performed in the under eighteen.
1: Here's here's the thing to me that I think is the overarching point to all this. It doesn't fucking matter who the Devils take. There's The Rangers cannot lose. The only way the Rangers lose is if they go off-board at two. It. We're all getting excited about Cabo-Capo, which is fine and great, and that's because we're assuming the Devils are going to take Jack Hughes. It is not a bad thing if the Devils don't take Jack Hughes. You can make an argument, it's a better thing if the Devils don't take Jack Hughes. This is just the time of the year where we've heard all about Jack Hughes. We've said... All along, since before last year's draft, that Jack Hughes is a franchise center, the number one guy, it's clear cut. And Capocacco did a lot of great things this season to make it close, but now we're just in the portion of the year where we're overthinking everything. If the New York Rangers end up with Jack Hughes instead of Capocacco and someone complains, they should be forbidden from following this team. That's the dumbest thing I've ever heard. This is, it's not just that. Imagine if the Rangers had a third pick and we were trying to make the case that how Ugh. this is not just a two-player draft. Have you like sure, sat around and thought
0: th- what, what life would be like for you and I if we had the third overall pick?
1: We'd be praying that someone fucked up and didn't take one of Hughes or Kako at two. Is a 0% chance that, that ever happened, but yes. Yeah, which is – everyone just needs to fucking relax. Who cares if the Rangers get Hughes instead of Kako? Honestly, what does it? what does it matter? The New York Rangers are walking away with one of two franchise-altering players in this year's draft. Yes, I do not care which one it is.
0: I don't care either. Eventually, we'll care when one of them busts and one of them doesn't. But hey, we didn't get the chance to pick you, which is why picking number two is like the cop out, but also still a great pick for the Rangers. Because
1: if you yeah, we blows up,
0: then then Gatko's great. Hey, it's not on us, you know? We did. We,
1: it. I just, the, the tweet that made the rounds this weekend is, you know, Dave Shapiro, who we've had on this podcast before, yes, basically said, um, he he has a nightmare that the Devils are going to take Caco. There's one overall, <laughs> it's just nightmare. What do you mean nightmare? It's a nightmare. The New York Rangers are going to end up with the top ranked player in this year's draft at number two. If the Devils oh, go off board at Greg, Caco, at I would one. hate
0: that. Then what am I going to do with my, oh my Caco jersey I already purchased?
1: Yeah, it'd be like it'd be like the Knicks having the two pick, and the Phoenix Suns go John Morant number one overall for some reason. They're like,
0: yeah, Zion went for happy. us. <laughs> like, okay, sure. Yeah.
1: <laughs> uh, we're worried if we're worried that Zion and DeAndre Ayton might not be able to play together, so we're just gonna go John Morant instead.
0: Yeah, we really. Care yeah, about you're that. not gonna
1: complain, guys. No, That's basically it. You're
0: it's, in a win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win-win situation at number two. You've just won. Yeah,
1: yeah. You've given the Devils the decision making, the hard decision making even though I don't think it's very hard. I think it's a slam dunk that Hughes is going number one overall. And if you're the New York Rangers, you just get to sit back, relax, and worry about what to do with your other first round picks.
0: I believe I saw Bob McKenzie talk to 10 scouts and they all had him ranked number one. There's just no chance that he doesn't go number one.
1: It's there. I won't say there's no chance, but it's less than 5%. We've seen crazier things, I feel like.
0: Uh, yeah, we have seen. we have seen a lot recently, Greg. I can't deny that. There's, been, there's a lot going We just talked about Mr. Jones going number six. So, uh, But I believe the Devils are more competent than the New York Giants, as much as I don't want to believe that. They did trade Keith Kincaid, but he might win a cup, so I don't know.
1: Yeah, if Keith wins a cup as the backup to the backup goalie in oh, Columbus, God. I would let him live it
0: down. No, how are we ever going to do that? Um, Today, Rick Carpinello, or yesterday rather, um, wrote an article for a website that used to sponsor this podcast and no longer does. And... Pretty much said that it's all but done in so many words that John Davidson is president of the New York Rangers moving forward and it, all that really needs to happen is an interview with Dolan. And once that happens, he's pretty confident it's going to get done. Uh, we talked about last week on an extensive level what a president does. He goes into that a little bit about how there's like important decision making, but I think the most important thing he said was John Davidson doesn't want to be GM. He just wants to make other decisions. I don't know what that means exactly. I still don't know truly what john davidson would do as president but he's he's done it twice before he's been the blues and the blues jackets president so why not a third i'm fine with it i don't really know as much about the president as i mean you could check gorton's track record right i mean i guess his track record as president of the jackets is pretty good too i mean he must have approved all this and obviously they're David on own. yeah davidson that's what i meant did i not say that
1: No, you said Gordon.
0: Oh, I was just uh, going back to Davidson. But yeah, I guess Davidson has the track record too because especially what the Blue Jackets are doing now and also uh, what the Blues have sort of done. Not that the Blues are any great shakes, but they have a respectable organization, I would say.
1: Yeah, it, it goes back to really what we talked about last week where we know what the president does in other sports where they have more of a control on the construction of the team moving forward even if they're not necessarily picking up the phone and calling other teams to um, begin trades and stuff like that. Uh, at the same time, the there are a lot of things to like about John Davidson. And we mentioned them last week, like you said, uh, the fact that John Davidson either was a part of the Blue Jackets deciding to go all in or approved of the Blue Jackets plan to go all in that deserves some uh praise he he went completely off the board ignored the old boys club when he hired yarmo Kekalainen to be that team's general manager that deserves praise the blue jackets have been creative when it comes to roster construction and again a lot of that credit should go to Kekalainen. but as much credit should go to davidson for allowing his gm to fulfill the vision he feels is necessary to build that team so there's there's a it's, it's hard to say from a team performance standpoint that John Davidson is unqualified for the job, which is why I think universally everyone has said, when they hear John Davidson's name mentioned with the position, that it's fine. I'm yet to hear anyone really rebel against it. The only criticisms we've heard, and it's a criticism I think we share, is it, the New York Rangers are positively, absolutely sure that Davidson's their guy. And they're not taking other interviews, which seems foolish. Even if you're one hundred ninety nine point nine nine percent convinced that Davidson's your guy, if you're the New York Rangers, I just don't understand what you have to lose by bringing in three other voices. Yeah, just to and see like what they give, have to
0: give Messier the interview and make the media and the fans happy. Just get it over with.
1: Not even, but not even Messier. Go go out there and listen to other opinions from people. You make John Davidson's not a young guy. Don't you want to bring in a, a – He's he might be the president for the next 10 years. I think we'd be shocked if he was the president for the next 10 years. So why don't you talk to some other guys that have ideas about where the game will be in five-plus years and see if that's a vision you can see yourself buying into at some point in time. I'm not saying you're basically interviewing for Davidson's successor already, but there's zero to lose by bringing in people to interview. And maybe someone says something – That really takes you off your feet. Uh, The example I think that's often used is the Steelers brought Mike Tomlin in just to meet the Rooney Rule exception. They had no anticipation of hiring Mike Tomlin as their head coach, and he won a Super Bowl for them. He's done a lot of other
0: bad things, but yes, he won one Super Bowl.
1: Look, you take the Super Bowl, though. Yeah, you do. If New York Rangers won a cup and then sucked for five years, you're good, right? If the New York Rangers
0: sucked for 20 years after, then they have kind of done
1: that. So never mind. (laughs) But the the, the point is, you don't lose by interviewing people. And I don't think you offend people by interviewing people. Even if you can go into the interview and be like, I've gone on interviews knowing that's a long shot to get the job. But you go on the interview. Because you never know exactly what can happen as soon as you sit down in a room and start talking with
0: people. It's also free information so I, for both sides. Like, both sides get, yeah. get something out of it, no matter what happens.
1: Yeah, so it's just... it. It's not... I don't think anyone has a gripe that it's going to be John Davidson. And it sure feels like it's going to be John Davidson. Uh, it, everyone has a gripe that it, it seems like the Rangers aren't conducting a search. And it, it, it kind of goes along the same lines with Panarin, though, right? Because you have to be sure that Davidson's coming because if Davidson doesn't about face and says, no, I'm good in Columbus, the New York Rangers have put themselves in a position where I would not expect them to have a president by draft day. And that seems incredibly irresponsible. I was going to
0: save this for later, but I'll do it now. Uh, So I read some down goes Brown today on another website that doesn't sponsor us. And pretty much what he said was he had a whole article about teams or good things to think about teams that aren't in the playoffs. And for the Blackhawks, he said, let's face it. They're going to sign Artemi Panarin. Have you heard anything anywhere of the Blackhawks being able to sign Artemi Panarin or or looking to? Because I have not.
1: I've heard that they're looking to. I know that he's friends with Patrick Kane still, I believe. Um, At the same time, down goes Brown. Not exactly the guy I'm worried about when it comes to tuned into sources. Mm -hmm. It sounds like from everyone else, it's a two-horse race between the Rangers and the Panthers.
0: That's exactly where I'm at, where it's just Rangers, Panthers, and whoever. I, I, don't, I don't know how he's going to choose. I mean, New York City versus Sunrise, Florida, really tough choice, as you can imagine. Yeah,
1: but would, if the Blackhawks swooped in and signed him, would I be surprised? No. I'd say the same thing about the LA Kings. If he signed with one of those two teams, I wouldn't expect it, but it wouldn't surprise me. I think Joel the Kings would surprise me just because of the
0: state they're in right now. I guess we're in a similar state, but now we have this second pick and all that, and we have a nice young core.
1: Are you talking about who, the Kings or the Blackhawks? Kings.
0: I would be surprised um, yeah, if you decide with I mean, Kings.
1: it's it's LA. Yeah, I guess it, so nothing can really surprise you. Le- LeBron went there. It's so. also the I mean the we're in a similar position with the Kings, but I think the Rangers are further along in the rebuild um than the Kings are. Uh, and the Kings just signed Drew Dowdy, and I don't think that contract's gonna age well. Fat anyway, contract, not the point. Fat. Um, yeah, it just down goes Brown saying that it seems weird. It would have <laughs> seemed more likely if Quenville was still the coach there. Um, it just it feels like, and I don't know if it's just because that's just how hockey media is, basically formulating it as the off approaches. Everything we've been reading and everything we've been hearing is it's Rangers or Florida. I. The, the Blackhawks and Kings, once upon a time, were definitely in the mix. And I think Friedman still mentions them as other possibilities. But it sure seems like a two-horse race. Yeah, I just Very saw, far out in front of the field.
0: Everything. I mean, I saw the case for him to go to Florida. There's a lot of different connections there. And uh, like a nice Russian community and all these other things. And the way he played hockey and his coach, obviously. I just think at the end of the day, like you're putting that next to New York City. And if you really want to brand yourself a, a great place to do it is New York rather than Sunrise Florida. So we'll see what happens. We're going to be following that very closely as the summer unfolds. Let's talk about Matt Zuccarello and the stars. The stars, as of this recording are three games away from making the Western conference finals. And that means we would get their 2020 first round pick, which would be astronomical for the New York Rangers.
1: No, we'd get their 2019 first rounder. Oh, 2020. No, twenty twenty is if Zuccarello resigns.
0: Ah, okay. Uh, My statement stands. (laughs) Where it would still be astronomical if that happens. What do you put the chances at for Dallas defeating? Is the Blues, I believe.
1: Yes, it is the Blues. Um, Let me put it this way: If the Blues beat the Stars, I think the Blues are the prohibitive Cup favorite if they're not already. Oh, so it's really. I yeah.
0: I should I should state as I do on every podcast, we were recording this right before Puck Drop for Blue Stars.
1: Yeah, I, I think the Blues are the best team left. And uh that at the same time, it, it's really close. All of the teams left are almost on the same level. You know, it's just the blues have been you know what annoys me one, the most on another level for a very long time.
0: I feel like the Bruins are the best team left, and that pisses me off.
1: I don't think they are. They Every team in the East is flawed in some way, shape, or form. So I, I kind of put all four East teams on the exact same level. You can mm-hmm. convince me any of those four teams will win the East. I, I understand the argument for all of them. But in the West, there, there feels like a little bit clearer of a pecking order, and it, it does feel like a Blue Sharks conference finals with the Blues going on to the Cup. Um But again, it's not to say that will happen. We saw exactly what happened in the first round. Uh, I just, if I had to put a percentage on it, I guess the stars are probably around a forty-five percent chance of making the finals yeah,
0: at this point. I guess we are. uh I, It doesn't help that we're recording right before. But let's talk quickly about something I saw you tweet about this week. Was you're, you don't really feel like heartbroken when Matt Zuccarello does well for the Stars like a lot of Ranger fans do. And I guess I feel very uh, similar. I'm sort of really happy for him. I don't like,
1: get gut-punched when he scores for another team.
0: I'm like thrilled I'll go that he's step, having I'll go, You don't care, right? That's where I'll you're I'll
1: go at. one step further. It's not that I don't feel heartbroken. It's that I literally feel nothing for Matt Zuccarello.
0: That's like an insane take I think a lot of people would explode for, but... I, I do feel I feel a lot of joy for him. Like I when I'm watching the highlights of Zuckerel doing well for the Dallas Stars, I'm like, man, it was so good to have him. I'm so happy he's like enjoying himself and it has a chance for success somewhere else instead of sitting home and golfing right now. That's kind
1: of where I live Yeah, in. for me it's it's more like I've just closed the chapter in my life and I'm very satisfied how that chapter ended, so I don't need to revisit it right now. Maybe in a couple of years I'll pick that book up and do some rereading, but as it is right now. I, I I expected the Matt Zuccarello era to end the way that it did. I'm happy that Matt Zuccarello is succeeding where he is. I'm happy that his success could lead to the New York Rangers getting not one, but two additional first round picks over the next two years. All these things make me happy. I don't have any ill will towards the guy. It's just, it's over. So I I don't feel a certain way about it anymore. I felt a way about it when we, the day we traded him. It's not like, the lights got turned out in 12 minutes as soon as the deal happened. A but where closure. I am right now. Yeah. Where I am right now, end of April. I don't know, guys, it's been two months. I'm I'm good with everything. I think the Rangers got fair value in that deal. The Rangers obviously have put themselves in a great position to cash in on not one, but two, both of the conditions, because it sure sounds like the Dallas stars absolutely love Matt Zuccarello. And I cannot blame them for that. So it's, it's hard to imagine the Matt Zuccarello story ending more perfectly if you're the New York Rangers. Like, if he makes the Western Conference Finals, mission accomplished. You did everything you wanted to do in that deal.
0: Oh, yeah, and he's given you everything back that you wanted. I mean, again, yeah. no, only two players got traded for first-round picks, one being Kevin Hayes. The second, the third would be Matt Zuccarello. So that, that is a hell of a return for Gorton. I think that would bump my Gorton rating up. I just... Does that bump the Gorton rating up or like, does it not change at all because
1: that's what the deal was? I don't think, it, I, I, don't think I give Jeff Gordon credit for
0: that's a play. making yeah, that's kind condition of a condition that another I said. team met
1: for him. Yeah, I'm dumb. Um, it, he was smart enough to include the condition, but we knew that the day the trade was made. So I don't think he gets yeah. bonus points for the condition being It's not
0: met. like he knew the Stars would end up being in this position of having a chance to go no, to the Western you- Conference Finals.
1: Right, and the real thing to talk about with Zuccarello are the people that are saying, "Well, don't close the door on the Rangers resigning him." No, close the door on the Rangers resigning him. Yeah, there's there's no well, chance. It, 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 yeah, I was just again, bringing into that. Like, we've talked. To, there's no well, shot. We, it's not just that there's no shot. It just doesn't make any sense because we've talked about this in regards to Panarin. If the Rangers strike out on Panarin, you and I are over the same mindset that they should just chill, don't do anything. If you want to get a game breaker, if you want to get a franchise player. If you want to get a foundational piece, absolutely 100% go out and do it. You're in a perfect position to do it. But what does Matt Zuccarello do for the New York Rangers in the next three years? Just Besides once again become another trade piece, except now he's harder to trade because you've added guaranteed years on the back end of that contract.
0: Other than be a fan favorite and maybe help develop young players, I can't think of anything.
1: Because, but he would he even in a locker room, he might be able to help develop young players. But on the ice, if Matt Zuccarello is a New York Ranger, he's playing with Chris Kreider Mika. and Nikki Zabinaja. Yeah. So yeah, there's you're, no you're way are not even. Yeah, who do you, who do you, who, how does Filipino or Pavel Buchnevich or Elias Anderson benefit from Matt Zuccarello being back in the New York Ranger uniform? They
0: probably don't. I mean, it's probably it might actually hurt their development. Is that a hot take?
1: I don't think I don't think it necessarily hurts. I just I, I think we give players like Matt Zuccarello too much credit where it's like, oh, that's that's a guy that kids need to learn from. Well, the kids need to learn by playing, and if you have Matt Zuccarello, the kids are playing less. So that's that's kind of where you get down to the nitty gritty, right? There needs to be a a fair balance of building a team that can win and letting the young guys play. And last year, the Rangers were in a position where they had to let the young guys play. If you're signing Artemi Panera and you're now in a position where you need to build a team to win, Matt Zuccarello doesn't build your team to win unless you're a veteran heavy team like the Dallas stars. Right. And he doesn't let the young guys play. If you're a young team like the New York Rangers. So it just doesn't make any sense. And I just, I think it's a little like, I I get that you want to see your favorite players play for your favorite team. Nobody's knocking you for that. That's that's not a negative thing to say or have an opinion on, but you just got to be realistic about it. It's not going to happen. It doesn't make sense for it to happen. I don't know why Zuccarello would want to come back. Quite honestly, I don't know what he's coming back to at this point in time.
0: Yeah, and I think he like feels burned off by the organization. I think he's like, screw you guys at this point. I mean, you traded me when I didn't want to be, even though it was it was the right move. Like, let's let's just admit it. It was the right move. Not really a bad this thing. This a right
1: move for all parties involved. Everyone. This right move for Matt Zuccarello, too.
0: Yeah, he's obviously enjoying himself in Dallas. He's wore a cowboy hat. He's going to probably, or most likely, well, he's been playing meaningful playoff hockey, and he could go to the Western Conference Finals. Hell, he could win a cup, man. He's, in, he's still in contention. We don't know. So let's see what happens with Matt Zuccarello. I do miss him a little bit. I'm very happy for him, but I think there is 0% chance he's a Ranger ever again, and I'm really sorry to say that for everyone listening.
1: It's kind of work. I miss Zuccarello around the same level I miss... Brian Leach, whereas I'm happy they were both New York Rangers, and I'm not in a hurry to see either of them suit up for the New York Rangers.
0: <laughs> yeah, well, Brian Leach playing right now would not be great. Um, hey, can
1: it could be any worse than Mark Stahl.
0: That's fair. Speaking of being worse than Mark Stahl, let's talk about so sort of what people do on the blogosphere of New York Rangers is sort of give report cards, right? We've never really done anything like this, but I figured we sort we'd do like a I don't know ten minute speed round. Of all things New York Ranger Report Cards. Uh, and starting with just some important players from out the year. And I'll, we'll just go down. Are you cool with that? Sure. This is called Shitty Report Cards. Let's start with Mika's... Shitty Report Cards. Shitty Report Cards. Let's start with Mika's Where And I, I guess we should define how we're going to rate these grades, right? I guess my way of rating this would be expectations versus what happened. Right? Is that the best way to give a grade to a player? Like what curve would you grade somebody on for the season?
1: Uh, uh, yeah, I mean expectations always have to be factored in, I think. So yeah, I would I would say like just because I, I give Mark Stahl a I'm, C+
0: plus doesn't mean he probably wasn't a D. you know what I'm saying?
1: Right We've It's, it's one of those things where if you're expect, expecting an F from Mark Stahl and he outperforms the F then that's technically a good season right correct because he exceeded your expectations but it's it's just an important thing to remember that your expectations couldn't have possibly been lower like you're you're happy he didn't flunk out of college
0: right and this is why this is shitty report cards because yeah, I, well, I this
1: is why give, this is why giving report cards is a shitty practice ag- but anyway
0: ag- agree but we don't have a guest today and this is what we're doing
1: <laughs> so. i i am all i am all for it i just want to establish and it's not a knock on any of the blogs that do it because all of them do. Everybody. It's great off season content. It's easy. You can fill up literally a month worth of content because you got to do it for 20 plus players. I've only so read I, I get why it exists. I get why it's a thing. Just just know that it it's baseless. None of it means anything, is what it really comes down to. Now I'm happy that everyone's gonna listen to this for 15 minutes yep. with that little <laughs> preamble going into it. Absolutely. I've only read one report card and it
0: was from Rick Carbonella. So there you go. Uh, he did all. I haven't.
1: I honestly haven't read any of
0: them. Uh, he did a. Uh, uh, he rated everyone very lowly, and I wanted to correct that. So let's start. We'll do. Uh, we'll go down sure. the roster a little bit. Okay. Uh, let's all start. Right, let's let, let's start with because of Vitojan easy A right.
1: Uh yeah, A plus. Yeah. He, he checked every box. He was the best player on the team. Was healthy for the entire season. Was the most important Ranger career year. Really set himself up to be the future of the New York Rangers, so yeah, we're good there.
0: Hundred uh, percent, and actually took himself to the next step where he's an absolute one C and you can't argue with. So a plus for what? for Mika Sabinajad, not even a question. Here's an interesting one, right off the bat, mm-hmm. Chris Kreider. Um, probably a B plus. I had him at a solid B because I just felt I, like I think... he felt he fell towards Chris Kreider's syndrome, which is when. You look so impressive, and you're so dominant, and then you kind of disappear.
1: But yeah, but he also kind of got hurt, as I was which say I think, part of the problem. One of
0: the things was he uh, was injured and played through it.
1: Yeah, and Chris Kreider, fully healthy at the height of his powers, when that Kreider Zabinajad Zuccarello line was arguably one of the five best lines in hockey for a six week stretch. Uh, that proved that Kreider likes Zibanejad can easily be a first-line player, can easily be a 25-plus goal scorer, can be someone that drives your offensive production on a good line. Um, what we need to know is we know he battled a groin injury, which led to a hamstring injury, which took him out of action. How long was those were those injuries impacting his play before he went down? I've been one to say on this podcast multiple times that the streakiness of Chris Kreider is something you live with if you want to live with it. It's part of the reason why in past podcasts, going way, way, way back, I said the Rangers should look into trading Chris Kreider. Um, I'll, I'll say this. His cold streak at the end of the year did nothing to redefine the legacy of Chris Kreider. If anything, it just confirmed what we already know. The guy is an elite goal scorer who can go on prolonged cold streaks. The Rangers want to trade him this offseason, there'll be plenty of a market for him. I think he could be an important piece to build with, and I think he could be an important piece to trade to get a player to build with. So the, the Rangers have true, a lot of options. True. And they're gonna have to they're gonna have to figure those options out before July first, I think. I don't think the Rangers can wait too long for the uh free agent market to play itself out before making a decision on Chris Kreider. But for Chris Kreider's season, a B plus, I think. He met expectations, surpassed them, but that slump at the end of the year, mixed in with the injury, dampens what should have been a career year for.
0: Hundred percent agree. Uh, with the exception of I go one half grade letter uh, with a B. Uh, let's go to our boyfriend, our Russian boyfriend, our Russian son. That just got really weird. Uh, Pavel Vushnevich, who I believe uh, I would have as a B plus for this year, mostly because he started the year off kind of getting buried, kind of doing Pavel things, right? And then went absolutely bonkers crazy the last couple of weeks. Just couldn't be stopped. So I, I would have him ranked at a B+, and I think he's going to end up getting paid.
1: I would actually give him an A minus. Uh, I think the most important thing with Bucinevich this year was he clearly understood the message his coaching staff was trying to present to him, and he bought into it tenfold. Um, he produced at a high rate, considering he missed, what, six weeks with the shoulder injury? Absolutely, yeah, it was so, definitely injured. Yeah, I I think this was a growing year for Vucinevich where his hockey career could have gone one of two ways. One path is he just never understands the message a coaching staff wants to give him, and he becomes kind of in the Anthony Duclair territory of, Insanely talented winger who seemingly bounces around the league despite having that talent because coaches feel like they just can't get through to him. Bucnevich, we he, we heard the criticism he gave Elaine Vino, and instead of falling into that trope, he said, "I'm not, I'm not allowing another coach to quit on me." And he bought into what David Quinn was selling, and I I think his development this year is one of the more important storylines from the season. So I would. I'd go one step higher. I would like for Bucnevich to produce even more on a point per game basis if he really wants to reach his potential. But this year proved that he is on the right path, and I think that is as important as anything he did on the ice.
0: Agree. Uh, I'm very excited at the way Pavel played. Uh, I think the one thing that worries me as a fan, and this is kind of dumb, is that he played so well that he'd get a bigger contract. Which is probably not a problem. I, I still want to lock Pavel Buchnevich up for five years. We're going to talk about that nonstop this summer. So we'll talk about
1: that in the future. Yeah, and we're, we're still planning to have the Evolving Wild twins on because they predicted a Buchnevich bridge contract and we need to yell at them. Absolutely, and they're great guests.
0: But uh, Buchnevich had a career year and I'm really excited to watch him going forward. I do not believe Pavel Buchnevich will be going anywhere. He will not be used as trade bait and he will be on this
1: team for the next few years. No, I just really don't want to bridge him. We're going to have a lot of problems, you and me, on this podcast if the New York Rangers decide to bridge Pavel Bucinavich.
0: Yeah, and it's, it's – I can't. I have no words. Next on my list is Dancing Larry. I have this as a D minus.
1: <laughs> uh, straight up F. I don't wow. understand the gimmick anymore. Who likes it?
0: Yeah, I just I, – I know for a fact he doesn't He doesn't get anything for those things. Like he doesn't get like he's already a season ticket holder. They don't provide him anything. They just bring him down, have him dance. And there's if there's an empty seat, he sits in it. That's it. I'm there's just some things in the garden where I'm over it. Dancing Larry is one.
1: We've talked too long about Dancing Larry. That was true.
0: Uh, Next, Ryan Strom.
1: It's kind of a hard grade to give, right? Yeah, I I feel like it's a. I'm gonna say it's a B. Uh, That's where I land to be like an 83. Yeah. B minus the... I'll go for. It. Yeah, yeah. It's he, first of all, the, the fact that the Rangers got him straight up for Ryan Spooner. is fantastic steal. work. By, once, once again, by Jeff Gordon and it's something he deserves credit for. Uh, he's young enough where you're still intrigued by the skill set, but at the same time, we have to take a step back. He's not going to have the shooting percentage he had this year. It's unsustainable. He, he finished on more shots than guys like Alexander Ovechkin have ever in their career. It just won't happen. So if we're saying his production for the New York Rangers this year was a best case scenario, then your best case scenario for him is 35 ish points, which again, it's useful. I just don't know. I don't want to get too excited about Ryan Strom, the long-term outlook. And I still think there's a, Fairly decent chance Ryan Strom is in a New York Ranger when we get to opening night. I'd say there's a better chance of Ryan Strom being an ex Ranger than Jimmy Vc.
0: Yeah, I. The more we make that case about if they cut their money, cut money with him, then, then they can actually have extra cap space. I, I believe that'll happen. The more the, i just, I also want There's going to be a though. trade
1: market. I just think there's going to be a trade market for him as well. I, I don't think every team is going to think this year was a fluke, despite the fact that. I think his shooting percentage was hovering around 20%, which is just ridiculous. Um, I, it's hard to look at this year as anything but a best case scenario for Ryan Stroman. If, if this is the best he can do, as great as it is, we know it's not sustainable. And I just, he, he's not a building block player for me. I, I just think you, if you can get an asset for Ryan Stroman, I got no problem trading him.
0: The next is Vlad Domestikov who is the similar player to Ryan in a little base a couple ways, but Vlad's more of a Swiss knife, Swiss army knife in general. Um, I would give Vlad probably a C plus. I just expected more out of him.
1: I feel, I feel like I'm grading on a slightly higher curve than you. Uh, Cause I give him a, I'd give him a B minus because. It's just slightly higher. Proved, <laughs> just literally just a third of a grade higher. Yeah. But he proved to us that he doesn't need to be scoring goals every night to be valuable. Right. When the Rangers acquired him from the Lightning, we all thought that in order for him to be a solid contributor for the New York Rangers, he'd have to put up points like he did with Kucherov and Stamkos. And he proved – his game was more complete this year than I was expecting it to be. Nemesnikov is the – he's he's a higher upside Jesper Foss, I think, in terms of you don't really feel – Undermanned. If you have to move the Mestikov up the lineup for injury purposes or short-term purposes, uh, but you're also not expecting him to be even a half a point a game type player. If he can, he can do a little bit more offensively than Jesper can. And I think he's a useful piece on both winning teams and rebuilding teams because he just he eats minutes you don't want to be giving to young players in difficult situations. So I. I don't need Nemestikov to score 20 goals a year in order for me to view him as a successful player. Um, I, I I wish he wasn't making as much money as he is. Part of the reason why Jesper Foss is great is because Jesper Foss fits under every salary cap. But at the same time, I would say I walked away impressed a little bit by Vlad Nemestikov this year, but not blown away. Somehow I was underwhelmed. Is kind of the right way to go.
0: I just felt like there were so many games where he was invisible. And speaking of invisible. Uh, That leads us to Jesper Fast. Um, That was a shot at Jesper. I'm sorry, Jesper. You're a good guy, I'm sure. Uh, But I I have him as sort of a C- for the season. I just thought this whole season where Jesper was very sort of in the background, and I don't know if that's his job or not, but he was very not noticeable for me the entire season.
1: Yeah, Jesper is a guy that simply met expectations. He didn't exceed any expectations I have. He didn't fail any course that was given to him. I'd I'd agree that he's like a solid seventy-five C and I know some people get angry, they think you're slamming a player for giving him a C. Gotta remember that C is average, everybody. Not everyone can be A and B students. By the uh, way,
0: was it so stupid that teachers tricked us that C was average? Was it stupid? Yeah, it's like they're like, C's average, and you're like, Oh, cool, average is great. I'll fight with average.
1: It's <laughs> they were I don't think they were tricking you. I think every teacher I ever had said, Don't be discouraged by a C, but you have to work harder. Yeah, I, I guess. think that's every message I ever got. Look, I got a lot of C's in my life. Same, right? same, buddy. Um, every time I got a C, a teacher didn't say "Good job." They said, "You understand the course material. I wish you would understand it a little bit better. So let's work on finding a way to do that." Um, yeah, I don't know. I they would tell me. I just, I don't know. I just feel like people forget that average is the middle. Like, people have to be in the average in order for it to be the average. If everyone was getting Bs, Bs would be the average. And then B wouldn't be that great of a grade. So it's – I just – I when I say that Jesper Foss was a C-level player for the New York Rangers year, that is not a slam on Jesper Foss. That means he did everything I expected him to do this year and didn't do anything to exceed that, which is fine. He's Jesper Foss. I don't know what we're worried about.
0: I'm not – Uh that's it. I think I think you've said everything about Jesper Fast. You just say
1: that's pretty much his whole
0: profile. Uh, let's go. Yeah. To the, let's go to some of the kids. Go to the kids. Uh, well,
1: well, before we do that, let's do Jimmy VC C. Just a C. Um. Yeah, but I, so here's where the curve comes in, right? Because a C for Jesper Fast means very different things than a C for Jimmy. It's BC. an
0: entirely different thing. Like I, Jimmy VC, yeah. I want him to be a B, but he's a C.
1: No, it's, it's more of my expectations for Fost were higher. So Jesper did more to meet those expectations than Jimmy VC did. I didn't expect Jimmy VC to be anything good. So when I say that's exactly what he did, I can't give him a D because he didn't fail to reach my expectations. My expectations for him were just incredibly low. So it, it's, it's, it's like he got three and a half questions on a five question test correctly where Jesper got 70 questions on a 100-question test correctly. <laughs> like, they're they're different. They're yeah. harder to achieve.
0: They are totally different. Jesper,
1: Jesper Foss was better than Jimmy Vesey this year, but they get the same grade because I didn't expect Jimmy Vesey to be good. He wasn't particularly good. He's not going to be particularly good. And as I've said multiple times, I'm tired of people trying to trade Jimmy Vesey because I don't understand why an opposing team would have value for that player. They would not.
0: Let's go to the kids. We have Leas Anderson first. Boy, this is a tough one, huh? I, I'm going to give him an incomplete. Yeah, I was going to say, I know that let's just do – no. Th- we don't have enough information. Just he's pass or fail, yeah, and I, he passed. That
1: was it. The, cra- the crazy thing with him is uh, I didn't realize he played 40-plus games for the Rangers last year. Yeah, he did, dude. That number felt – yeah, it felt a lot higher. I think for that, if I were to give – Anderson a grade, it would probably be in the D range.
0: Yeah, I'm gonna be honest. But it would I'm much be more com-
1: yeah, I'm much more comfortable just saying incomplete because it was a up and down season. It's hard to understand anything he did in Hartford because Hartford was so bad. Um but he's still just a, he's just a kid. He's like the the 12-year-old whiz who for some reason is in eighth grade. Are you really angry if the 12-year-old can't handle eighth grade? Not really, right? No. Right. No, yeah. Are you supposed you're, to be 12 in eighth grade? Yeah, how old are you so. supposed to be in eighth think, grade?
0: You could be 12. Let's go 10. 10-year-old.
1: 10 let's, let's, <laughs> no, let's go 12-year-old let's go in high school, right? Okay. You're a sophomore in high school and all of a sudden a 12-year-old shows up to your calculus class. Are you, are you surprised the 12-year-old can't understand calculus as well as his peers? Not really because he's punching above his weight.
0: Okay, ca- so counterpoint. I- that, if that kid's there, he definitely knows calculus more than you do. <laughs>
1: it's like – that's the, in that he class. He definitely knows. Is. He definitely knows math than other twelve-year-olds do. But if a girl looks at him, Le- he's
0: going to start trembling and not know what happens. It's a totally different situation.
1: I think that's the I more. I think of the Le-us, An- you're looking for. Leus Anderson, compared to most players his age, did well. To, but up. we're not grading him compared to most kids his age because that's not the class he took. He took a a grown man class in college, and he wasn't ready for it. So it's hard. It's both. Fair to say he didn't live up to the expectations we put on him and both fair to say that not living up to those expectations doesn't necessarily mean the future isn't bright for Leah Anderson. Philip Hedl, C+. Plus. Yeah, yeah, I, I, I'd, I'd say he, he squeaked out over my expectations. I Just squeaked by again, him,
0: like just by
1: him. Yeah, but I do think part of my expectations was just Philip Hedl surviving an entire year in the NHL, which he did. Um, there were times where he seemed overmatched. David Quinn scratched him when he was healthy a couple times, but he he definitely provided us flashes. I think we're more confident that at his absolute worst, Philip is like a third line forward in the NHL, which is a win all things considered. Again,
0: at his absolute so, worst, do not freak out and tweet us that
1: he's not, right when he's I when I say that. It, I, I if Philip fails to advanced his game beyond the point he already has advanced it to. There's still a good NHL player in there, uh, which is what a third line player is. I just, yeah, I'd, I'd say he didn't wow us. He was never a threat to win the Calder, but he was a good young teenage forward in the NHL. And he surpassed the expectations I put for him, but he didn't blow us away. So C plus C plus feels right.
0: Tell me if you care about any, doing great for any of these players, Lemieux, Lee Connor Brickley,
1: uh, Terry no, Lemieux yes, because I think Lemieux also exceeded expectations when he got here.
0: Agree, and I think he's going to be a really pesky player for the Rangers moving forward.
1: Yeah, I'd put him in the same conversation Filipino was in, where even less so with Lemieux because I had even lower expectations. But whereas like I may have had similar expectations for Lemieux and VC, Lemieux lived up to them and then exceeded them. My long-term outlook for Lemieux is. Much different than Jimmy VC. I think that guy is a productive forward that you can build around. Not build around, but he can be like the extra piece that you want to provide your team with a little grit. <laughs> a little bit of grit, Ryan. A little let, bit of grit. Let, well, I, I, I like Lemieux's game this year, so I, I'd, I'd give Lemieux somewhere in the C plus, B minus. For
0: with me. you on that. Brett Houghton, I have his, a, a nice C.
1: Um... I don't know. I think I'd go a little lower. I think like C minus. I don't think he I wouldn't argue accomplished with that. everything. I don't, but I also don't think it's his fault. I, I think uh David Quinn needed to do a better job of managing him. Like of all the rookies, Brett Howden was the one he needed to protect a little bit more. And didn't. And he didn't. He kind of left him out to get exposed, which could be fine. I mean, I mean, how many times on this podcast have we said uh sink or swim and let the kid figure out if this is a league he can play at. But let me let me put it this way. I am much more confident in Philip Heedle's NHL future than I am Brett Howden's. So I I think with that being said, Howden is the one I would say didn't quite live up to expectations. So he's probably like a C minus, D plus for me.
0: Let's go to defense. We have Brady Shea. You might not like this. I think I have to him
1: what a C? A C
0: minus, I think.
1: Um He's definitely in the C range. I, I might, I might go C plus. Oh boy! Just because, again, I. But I, here's the thing. I'm looking at I'm looking at last
0: week. I'm just looking forward and looking into the grades I'm going to give all these defensive players, and I'm not happy with myself. It's just, it's just not great.
1: <laughs> I I think part of the problem with Shea is the expectation was for him to be a number one defenseman, and that's just not who he is. And number two defenseman. I think if our expectations for him were different, our grade for him would be different. If you if you look at him as a guy who needed to be the leader of this this team defensively i think that's an unrealistic expectation and unfair to brady shea at the same time it's hard to say that shea had a complete season from his own standards so we can't give him anything above a c plus i just i'm not worried about brady shea i think on a better team this guy is a solid second pairing defenseman i I like that he's been signed long-term by the Rangers. That's a fair contract to a good player that you can trade at any time. And if you put him in the proper system with the proper players around him, you can get a lot out of his game that'll make you think he's even better than what you expect. I just, the way this defense was constructed was a way to put Brady Shea in a bad position. Uh, that's exactly what happened. So I it's not to give Brady Shea a pass. It's just... His grade is more a reflection on how the Rangers constructed their entire defensive unit than it is a reflection on Brady Shea himself.
0: Let's move to Kevin Shattenkirk. I have this as a D plus.
1: Hmm, It's a tough one because I think when Shattenkirk played, he played well, but for some reason the coaching staff and portions of the fan base feel otherwise. I'd, I'd say Shattenkirk is also a C. I think he, I think he checked every box for me this year that he needed to. I, I don't think I got anything less from Kevin Shea than was expected. Kevin Shea. I also don't think I got a, a Kevin Shea. Kevin Shattenkirk. <laughs> I don't. I didn't get less than what I expected. I also didn't get more. I feel like, again, his his C-level work is the same as Yester Foss, where neither of those players did anything to wow me, and neither of those players did anything to disappoint me. So I – I would say that's a, that's C-level work for the year.
0: Just came in, uh, I'm just underwhelmed by Kevin Shattenkirk in general. I think it's really hard for him to fight through the injuries he's he's had. I expect more out of him, and maybe that's a me problem, not a Kevin Shattenkirk problem. And that's why I give him a D plus. Here's a fun one.
1: Mark Stahl. C? I, I, again, this it feels like a... C? <laughs> yeah, it feels like a C. It's Did Mark r- Stahl do anything you expect? You didn't expect him to do this year, no. Did Mark Stahl do anything you wanted? Did he fail to meet a goal you had for him this season?
0: I thought he was above what I I expected of him. That's where so I you might even give
1: him a B minus.
0: I might give him a C plus. That's as far as I'll go with Mark Stahl.
1: Yeah, I I feel like this year was just more confirmation that there is a sheltered hockey player still in Mark Stahl. Where if you had to play him there's a way to do it that isn't crippling your team on a nightly basis. And that in and of itself is successful to realize. So I, again, if a better coaching staff doesn't run out stall and Pionk on a nightly basis. Um, oh, God. And once stall was paired with D'Angelo, things seem to change. So I I'd say the coaching staff's handling of Mark stall this year is a D minus, but Mark stalls play this year was a C.
0: Uh, well, let's not do Tony. Yet. Let's do Neil now. Neil Peep. That's a hard F. <laughs> I, have, I have it as a, I, I, He
1: might be the only F I give on this entire. I have it as a little D. exercise we do.
0: A D. He had moments I, where he shined, but I really, I don't want him on the team in the in the future. Sorry, I, no. I don't know
1: how that gets you a D. Then I. I. He failed everything I wanted from him, but at the same time, his F is more beneficial to the Rangers long term than Jimmy Vc's C.
0: Hundred percent, because at least you know yeah, now. Because,
1: but that they're right. gonna
0: bridge deal him, and I'm gonna throw up my mouth. They might, they might give him more than a bridge deal, dude. That would, oh god, no, it's not. Let's talk about this another day. Tony D'Angelo, B plus.
1: Yeah i I would give him a B plus as well. If we're just doing gameplay, I think you'd have to give him an we A. Are,
0: we are just doing gameplay. You want to call him, give him an A then? Because he he played above. No,
1: I I no, I, because I think with Tony D'Angelo, especially, it's a whole package kind of thing. I don't think we can separate the gameplay from the attitude because I think the attitude – well, it it prohibits the gameplay because sometimes the attitude keeps him from playing, and I think that is important to note. When Tony D'Angelo was on the ice, it's hard to say his play was anything less than incredibly exceeds expectation, 95th percentile outcome for a season. He was great. Every time he took the ice, he was great. But for reasons we don't fully understand, for reasons we are fully familiar with, Tony d'Angelo does things to keep himself from being in the lineup on a nightly basis so if you have to include that because you this is a guy who on a if everything mentally was being checked and balanced on a nightly basis we should get 82 solid games a year from Tony D'Angelo but a year like this year I think I think he finished with 66 and a, Quinn ben, at a least a lot a lot of half Quinn of ben. the games he missed half of the games he missed were self-inflicted it felt like so, yeah, I, I don't think we can give him an A. I, I think the best grade we can give him, all things considered, is a B B+. And it, I, I'm happy we got there because I, his involvement in the Rangers' defensive core moving forward is super important to this team Very and where this team wants to go. But at the same time, it just I don't think you can give Tony D'Angelo an A, despite how good he was on the ice. A B-plus
0: for me. Uh, last three we have here, Brandon Smith. I got that as a nice D-minus.
1: Maybe, oh, I disagree. Maybe a D. I I I disagree. I think Brandon Smith was a was a B. Whoa! But our, again, our biggest again, disagreement yeah. because he because of the way yeah. he played forward at the end and such like that. Yeah, he became a utility player. I I think. If you're if you're viewing him as Brandon Smith, the four million plus, I, I guess. X-Men?
0: I guess we did set the expectations at the beginning. Where we were like, "What do we expect from Brandon Smith?" And I guess mine's a D because I had the hype train rolling at the beginning of the season. I was all about that Brandon Smith hype train, and I really was disappointed by it. Uh, maybe that's why. But he did become a, a useful player for the New York Rangers, where they won't probably cut him. So
1: yeah, I I, I think there's Brandon Smith entered the season as a guy without a role, and he exits the season as a guy who plays a pretty unique and specific role for this team moving forward and it it actually makes it intriguing is he worth four plus million dollars now no but he he's better than a guy you bury in hartford to get to save some money on the cap so yeah i i'd say it's hard to look at brandon smith's year and say he didn't exceed his expectations two goalies
0: Henrik Lundquist. c plus
1: Oh, not doing Freddie Clayson? You didn't want to give a grade for Freddie Clayson?
0: Uh, I passed on Clayson. I don't know why. Do you want to do Clayson?
1: <laughs> no. It was a forgettable year for a guy who might not be a New York Ranger next
0: Exactly. Year. Yeah. So, Henrik Lundqvist. C+. Just not a typical Hank year in general. Uh, you could tell that he was sort of demotivated by the end of the year, and Georgiev <laughs> was playing out of his mind. I, I get it. He wants to compete. He wants to get out there. Uh, he's older than he ever has been, as we all are. And Henrik just... I you always expect better of him. as C plus. It was a fine year for Hank, but I don't think it's like that's a an overall terrible grade for
1: him. No, I'd I'd say probably the same. Again, just going based the expectations for Henrik Lundqvist are different than expectations we have for other players. I don't think he failed to meet any of my expectations. I also don't think he surpassed any of my expectations. So yeah, I I I think I think Hank knows he would want to be better. Uh, I know that if the Rangers are serious about being in the playoffs, they would need him to be better, but I, I don't think he had a bad year, so it's hard for me to give him anything less than a C.
0: My last one might surprise you. Alexander Georgiev, A-.
1: minus. Well, that doesn't surprise me. I, I'd say, because we entered this year thinking that the Rangers maybe have a backup goalie for the future, maybe a guy who can spell Henrik on the night, and the Rangers wouldn't be completely undermanned and instead what we found is maybe this guy is a starting caliber goaltender in the nhl so it going from an organizational piece that has some nhl upside to an nhl piece that has some trade upside i think is a massive accomplishment for jordy 100 percent.
0: this segment went longer than i expected and i'm glad about it uh <laughs> we're gonna talk now about five-star questions we had one five-star question this week that's from our friend brian boyle he says best or worst case scenario tenure for Quinn. So nothing right. Uh, so nothing going right. How long is the leash and the best case you could think of? Uh, he can actually take it to the Stanley cup finals and win realistically, how long would you think that would take? Or is this another uh, situation like the Tom Renly scenario where he's only here to teach and then hand off to another coach?
1: Tom Rennie, You mean, Is that, that's you what I said. An L right? in there? Did I, I L? Yeah. Huh, okay. Um, I, you know what? I think the answer to both scenarios is actually two more years. I think no matter what happens, Quinn is getting this year and the year after. And I think the leash from that point depends largely on what the Rangers are able to accomplish in that time period from a team building standpoint. You know, what's so funny. Uh, I, Ra-
0: I disagree with you out of the bat. I think it's a three year leash for him. I think they're really happy with what Quinn's done so far. And I don't think he can really mess it up in two years. I don't think in the next well, two years he can, he can really... He
1: can mess it up if the Rangers are serious about booting up this timeline. So if if the Rangers sign Panarin right. and they're not serious cup contenders within the next two years, I do think that's a failure of the coaching staff. Um, but if the Rangers fail to sign Panarin, then I think you have more building to do. Then I think the leash is longer. But at the same time, if your young players like your Heatles, your Andersons, your D'Angelo's, your Bucinevich's, if they take a step back in those two years, I think that's also a failure on the coaching staff, especially considering this was a coaching staff brought in to develop to develop young players. Absolutely. So I think, I do think it's uh, the next two years, David Quinn has nothing to worry about, but at the end of the 2020-2021 season, depending on the Rangers roster construction, I think that's the first time we can really take a step back and say, is David Quinn right for this team in the future?
0: And if you want to leave your own five-star question review, you can go to iTunes right now, go to Blue Shirts Breakaway, number one result on New York Rangers, and then click five stars and leave a five-star review with a five-star question. And we'll read it on the podcast next week. This is the part of the podcast where we will be talking spoilers for Game of Thrones and Endgame. If you'd like to leave now, that's totally fine. we have got an hour of Rangers content in your hand, and I'm glad to have you here. You can follow me on Twitter at ORyanMeet, and you can follow Greg at Twitter at the official Bushed Breakaway, Twitter at Break. Here's how we're going to do this, if you're still here listening. We're going to do Game of Thrones first, because you probably watched that. You almost certainly did. It's appointment viewing. If you didn't watch it, I'm sorry. And then at some point, we're going to say spoiler alert again, and then we're going to go to endgame, because I feel like you and I have to talk about both these things, right? Yes. Okay. So starting right now, in five seconds... We're talking about all Game of Thrones spoilers. Five, four, three, two, one. Greg, mm. boy, we have a lot to talk about with this episode
1: because well, we had very different reactions to this episode.
0: We did, but I don't know if you kept kept up with me. I've uh, I didn't lean towards your side, but I definitely started shitting on it a little bit. Um, your reaction right off the bat was uh, a dislike, a disdain for sort of this episode,
1: and I think I wouldn't, I, say, dis- I wouldn't say disdain. I think I think. Um the conversation we were having with our friends got to a point where it felt like there was a pro camp and a con camp. Yeah. But I, th- I thought the episode was fine. I have The problem is it, it kind of, uh, let, let, yeah, let's, let's break, let's bring this all back full circle to our report card thing. Uh, my expectations for this e- episode were extremely high and my expectations weren't met.
0: Absolutely. So, uh, and I want to just say, right, gets off the bat. I a hundred percent agree with you that this episode should be, Theoretically, the best episode of Game of Thrones. And it probably isn't in the top five. It just isn't. Um, Winds of Winter is better. There's just... The storyline and the way they handle the storytelling in this episode is not great. The more I thought about it, the more angry I was. Uh, as, a, as a real nerd about this shit, I, I kind of like... I really like the episode. Like, just to go back. The pros for the episode. Let's just do that first. Get Then we'll start bitching, sure. okay? The, sure. mu- the music...
1: Was so good. just, one yeah, of the, it, just it, it felt like I was watching uh, a Christopher Nolan movie. One of the best
0: scores of any TV show ever. Just an amazing music part. The, uh, the I know a lot of people said the fighting was disorienting. Uh, I didn't find it to be that way. And I also know that a lot of people said the lighting was a problem. I was watching in the dark. But now that I started watching some GIFs on Twitter or on Reddit, I could see why they thought the lighting was pretty bad. I don't think you could record a battle like that in the daytime, but I thought the achievement of what they accomplished was phenomenal. And I thought the the really cool part about the episode was it was a horror episode. It was supposed to be – it's a different type of genre for Game of Thrones. There's never been horror in Game of Thrones before, right? It's always been kind of been shock factor or like extreme action battle. There's never been like pure dread and horror, and that's what this show was – on Sunday night. Especially the yeah, scene where but, Arya was like in the library with the walkers. That was something else. Like uh, that was a real horror scene. And then, then the show like the rest of the sh- the episode kind of falls apart with some of the Deus Ex Machina and, and deals like that. And then we can get into the comics.
1: Yeah, the um the lighting doesn't bother me because the whole thing the Night King and the White Walkers are fighting for is the endless night. Yeah. So you can't necessarily have your big battle scene and have there be just tons of light because that's, you know, there's, there's metaphors at play that are beyond if this looks good. Cinematography wise. Yep. Mm -hmm. Um, so that, that didn't, I mean, yeah, I was as frustrated as anyone else that I felt like my TV wasn't of high enough quality to watch a television show. But like you, I was watching at night, all the lights were off. It was dark outside. I saw everything I needed to see. Um, Let's get into the, the, cons. Sc- the score was the score was great. I mean, I, let, I, if we get into the cons, a pro that you really, really like that I disagree with, you felt like there was tension from the word jump.
0: I do. I actually really love those first 10 minutes of the show where they are sort of sitting around like and everyone is sort of fearful of death and they know what's coming. And it's just playing like the 10 minutes of getting ready for war. I, I I think that actually might have been some of my favorite part of the episode. So yeah, I felt tension right away. I was like sweating the second it turned it
1: came on. There are only there are really only two moments I felt tense. The first was like you within the episodes just starting. Basically everything before the Dothraki charge um, was great. Hard to imagine it going better, which is fantastic because again I went into this exp- episode with extremely high expectations. Um, but from there, the only other scene that I say really piqued my level of interest was the Arya in the library scene because again, I went in this episode thinking she might die, and then uh, Sansa and Tyrion in the crypt. I legit thought they were contemplating suicide when yeah. they were pulling the knives out as the crypt was coming to life, and I was like, "Oh shit, are they gonna they, are they admitting defeat here? Are they gonna like that?" That was great. Uh, and then that also quickly let me down when it seemed like a very convenient end to that dilemma. Um, yeah, we've talked about this, and it's really my biggest gripe about the entire episode. It just felt like a show that is built on there being extreme consequences for extreme actions, there just weren't any consequences in this episode at all. I think I actually have more
0: gripes now than you, where – Storytelling-wise, there are certain things that make me really angry. Now, they said in the, the post-whatever credits that they knew Arya was going to be killing the Night King three years in advance. So they were kind of setting up for it. But they said that they wanted to do it like as a surprise, and it sounded like they didn't do it without George R. R. Martin, which is kind of strange. Like They kind of did that decision without him. Night King doesn't exist in the books. He might not actually exist in the books, so they might have had free reign here. This kind of nullifies all of Jon's life? Like, his whole story arc was the behind the, like, beyond the wall kind of deal. He didn't even get to sword fight the Night King. Not once. Jon actually was truly useless in this episode. He did nothing. He fell from a dragon. He didn't light the barricade. He survived a thousand White Walkers, which makes no sense. He didn't get burned by the fire. uh, Which would be, there's just so many ways to make this episode so much cooler, and they did none of them. Like, like you said, Sansa and Tyrion were about to, like, maybe off themselves. A really emotional moment. Then not only did they not go help anybody, and not only did they not kill themselves, they did nothing. Uh, Jon did nothing. Theon, who I, I really like Theon. I think Theon's a great character, and I know I'm alone on that island. But Theon charging the Night King, while nice, and proved he wasn't a, bait, uh, like, you know, proved he wasn't a coward. I still think was kind of a bitch way for him to go out. I thought he could like just stand there and do, and wait for the Night King to walk forward until he gets the Bran and then fight him there and just immediately die, of course. But him charging him, just not as cool. There was just a lot of different problems with the storytelling. And I know Arya is a trained master assassin. Arya is really cool and I'm happy she killed the Night King. I have no problem with that. It's just that, where did she come from? The whole courtyard was filled with zombies. Like, where is she jumping from? The window? How did she do that? I I don't know. And the fact that, the Night King just is like the big bad evil and just kind of goes away from a Valeria dagger. And that is the cool part about it. The dagger is like the dagger that started all. That was the dagger that was supposed to kill Bran. And that's the whole thing that started the whole show. So that makes a lot of sense, a full circle kind of deal. But uh, it felt sort of cheesy for the Night King. And I wish we knew more about him.
1: Yeah, I, I'm i cool with Arya getting the kill. I just don't understand why the entire build up happened off cam. And I, I don't know if it was supposed to. I, the whole exchange she had in the room with the hound and the red lady. I get that you can read like knowing how the episode ends, you can go back and reread that scene as oh, she understood what she had to do. But for an episode that was about getting people basically from point A to point B without consequence, it just it felt like an odd decision that we didn't see more to the Aria build up um so i i i was out on that i just i i'm not saying more people should have died i'm just saying if you wanted more people to survive you needed to stop putting them in yes situations where survivability was next to none
0: we saw a like get destroyed in what 25 seconds right and Sam—we oh, didn't even
1: see it happen. It just happened. Sam Worrettarly
0: like, was covered in zombies for like thirty-five minutes. <laughs> he didn't die. Survived.
1: Didn't uh, die. J- Jamie, Jamie, who has one hand and it's his non-dominant hand, seemingly Ben Simmons. survived, pinned against the wall against countless zombies. Brienne, same thing. Um, and there I, was even—I forgot—I went back and rewatched it. There, Brienne was immediately overrun, and she was fine. Like, she got up no problem. I think it would be Uh, cool if they did that
0: one time, right? Like, we'll get to Grey Worm in a second, because, man, that's a problem. It'd be cool if J.B. and Rianne did that one time against the wall, right? But then, like, they went to, like, some room, and as the zombies were coming in, they killed, and they funneled them in. And, like, then they were holding off protecting, like, the crypts or something like that. That would have been cool as hell. But to have them pinned against the wall for 30 minutes where they just didn't die is kind of cheap, like you said.
1: Yeah, and Grey Worm... Not Grey Worm's a character where we shouldn't have any hard opinions about him. Nope. Like, this was a perfect episode to just off Grey Worm in.
0: And he had great – Grey Worm had great shots in this in this uh, episode. It was like a nice – But the,
1: th- the thing with – Grey Worm was – I went back and rewatched it after work today. Grey Worm is very obviously on the front line with the Unsullied Yep, when the, the dead people charge in. And then somehow, throughout the course of the fight, he just casually creeps backwards without – while he's out of breath but it doesn't seem like he's fought anyone and he just continued to be in situations where it's like oh this is it, it, it uh have you seen um 21 jump street
0: uh, yes i have
1: remember remember how they they uh keep seeing situations where they think a car is going to explode and then it doesn't explode yes and then the time it like that's basically what gray room was it was like "Ah, oh, this is it the car is going to explode i guess not and it just It didn't make any sense Him living is just
0: unbelievable. Just totally like, what? How did that happen?
1: Yeah, so it's it's not even that... I don't have a blood... I didn't have a bloodthirst. I didn't need people to die. It's just the show put people in situations where they shouldn't have survived. And this is a show that has made it clear that no one character's life is more important than the show. So... I, I guess, in a way, and I, I've seen this argument that every death we've seen leading up to this fight was a surprise. So maybe we should appreciate the fact that the no deaths was the new surprise. At the same time, at, it just, our friend Tom McCarthy used the term plot armor. Uh, it felt like a lot of the main characters unjustly gained plot armor. Just to get through this episode.
0: Yeah, I think they could have filmed it a different way. Like, I really would have liked having them in another situation, like where where they were all protecting the crypts or something like that. The crypts could still get attacked. Yeah, like, the same.
1: there there was no reason for Sam to be on the battle. If you, if Sam's so important that he can't die, just put him in the crypt. Yeah, just have John or put Bale. him like in just the hallway have John to have the, the a conversation with him. Yeah, just have John have the conversation with him where it's like, um, John says you're going in the crypt, and Sam goes, No, I want to fight, and John goes, Look. There's gonna be a life after this battle. I need you to help me guide me through that. You're going in the crypt, like basically the same conversation Danny had with Tyrion. John should have had with Sam. 100%. There was just no reason to put Sam on the battlefield. And Sam was just
0: covered in zombies
1: the whole time. Ugh. Um. Yeah, like who's so whose death? I guess Theon's death was supposed to impact us the most. And I mean, I really it, like it, Theon.
0: It, it just, I wish they. He was supposed to go but out. It was a sort bitch of, way to go. Like, yeah. what is he doing? He was supposed to go out in sort of a golem way, where like only he can do something, right? Like, uh, golem bites, you know, goes into the mountain. Spoilers for Lord of the Rings. Sorry, you know how this works. Um, but I, I just thought like there would be a moment where he could have like a protection deal. Like, wouldn't it be so cool if the Night King ended up fighting like Arya and John and Theon, and then killed Theon, and then like together Arya and John killed the Night King? Like, that'd be fucking sick. But that didn't happen. It was like Theon charged him, immediately got domed. Like, you knew? No. And uh, then
1: the other people that died, Lady Lady Mormont, God bless her soul, yep. fun character, but yep. I don't think we're supposed to feel any certain way about that. Giant killer? Jorah. Jorah is just...
0: Oh, I like Jorah a lot. Room. I like Jorah a lot. I
1: like Jorah a lot, but he stopped being an integral character, what, two seasons ago? Uh, maybe. Yeah, probably. He's still like... Um,
0: had had a lot to offer to Zanarius, and you always want to know, like, if that love would ever work out. Probably not. But friend zone, man. No, uh, then then Z- Ed. Also, just Ed real quick, is... Zenarius did him so dirty. She turns him and uses him by his body as a shield.
1: <laughs> it's brutal. Yeah. I, the other thing, the other big gripe I had, and I, I don't know if other people agreed or disagreed. I just didn't like that the battle plan fell apart so soon. But it fell apart so soon that we didn't realize this wasn't the battle plan. But it it took me reading stuff today to realize that Danny wasn't supposed to fly the dragons after the Dothraki charge. I kind of assumed that was part of the plan. It seems like no. Um, yeah, it, it now seems like no, that wasn't it. And we're supposed to realize that when Jon says, uh, wait for the Night King. And she goes, the dead are already here. And then she flies off. Um which also begs the question, why does John also fly off? If Danny flies off, he didn't have to deviate. They, I don't know. It's also just rule number one. And I am no West Technician. Point graduate. Same. But you do not send the cavalry in first.
0: And also, you don't put your trebuchets up front. Oh, no. like, That's like the dumbest thing you could do. And it, I know, know that cavalry
1: been... literally means clean up the mess. Like, th- that is basically what it means. Sending in the cavalry is the last thing you do. To change the course of the battle. Not the first thing you do to set the stage for the battle. No, never. Has no one seen has no one seen the Patriot of Braveheart? This is <laughs> this is lesson number one. It's really the tactician stuff
0: in that was uh pretty appalling. If I was like any sort of military guy, I'd be freaking
1: out. Like, are we serious? Like, this is
0: not what we do here.
1: Uh yeah, John, and- Jon Snow, the uh, army commander, is is let's let's L's. review his big battles. Uh, battle of the Bastard. Fuck. Yeah, hard hard home. Fucked. Fucked. Uh, the little mission to go get a White Walker. Fucked. Fucked. This this fucked. fucked. Yeah, like, not Yeah, great. he's getting he's getting wins, but his run differential suggests that this is all going to regress back towards the mean.
0: Uh, hundred percent. Daenerys not really exactly uh, a great track record either. Both characters sort of unaware of their surroundings. And oh. how am I supposed to care about Cersei now?
1: I I don't know. Um. Well, so. I don't necessarily care who sits on the throne, but I still care about the end of Cersei's arc.
0: Here's my um, thing.
1: I want her to win now. I, I don't I just want, I don't her, want to her to win. I kind of want her to lose and then Danny and John to have one final showdown and one of them to lose, probably Danny. But again, this just just goes back to my my original beef. I only needed Three characters to get out of this battle in order for me to still care about Cersei. I still needed Jamie, I still needed John, and I still needed Danny. Yeah. Everyone else, you could have found a reason for them to die. I think Sansa and Arya had to, to had to live it.
0: too, but everyone else could have died for sure.
1: For I sure. just, I think Jamie ends up killing Cersei. So I needed yeah, him to too. get through this battle. And I think Danny and John are the last two standing for the throne. So I needed them to get through this battle or I needed Danny to like have Drogon burn John to the ground in this episode. And then I would have been like, Oh, shit!"
0: you know what I was kind of curious about? Uh, This is sort of just a fan theory. You know how Daenerys is unburned. Um, Is John also unburned? Can he be burned? I wonder if he knows that or not.
1: I think he early in the show. Remember the first time we meet a white Walker, John throws a lamp at the white Walker to kill it. Right. He acts as if the lamp burns him, but then he inspects his hand in a way that makes you think, "Oh, maybe he reacted to the heat and then realized it didn't hurt."
0: Right. I've just, so I just we I've, never really got. I am curious to know if he's like an unburnt also because he's Targaryen. So I wonder if she did Dragon Fire, I, him, if he be dead or not?
1: Yeah, I don't, I don't know. I've thought about um, I've thought about that John throwing the lamp out of White Walker scene a lot, uh, and I still don't know if he reacted in a way where he stunned that he wasn't burnt or reacted in a way that, fucked that hurt.
0: Wow, we've gone very long. Uh, do you want to save Endgame for next week or do you want to do it now?
1: No, let's do it now because my, my thoughts are, are fresh. fresh. I'm probably going to see it again tomorrow Man, because a- I realized there's there's like a 10.50 and 11.30 showing, so I'm just going to go straight from work when hopefully the theater is empty and just have a fucking party.
0: Uh, all right. Now we are going to go into Endgame spoilers. If you haven't watched Endgame yet, now's the time to leave. Thanks for staying for Game of Thrones. Follow us on Twitter. Greg, Endgame blew away all my expectations, and it was a perfect movie. All, all just- I, I, I had such a great time. There was, I have no problem with it. My theater yep. st- was like a sporting event where people were standing up, yep. cheering, clapping, screaming. Yep. People were going absolutely batshit crazy for the movie, and it was perfect. I, I, the only thing that it could have done better was, was make Thanos more prevalent. And that's it. That's the only my only complaint.
1: Everything else is perfect. I don't even have I honestly don't even have that as a complaint. Um, and I flo- I floated this out there where I'm happy we talked about Thrones first because I wonder if my thrones experience would have been more enjoyable had I not seen Endgame First. I kind and of I a, know that they're
0: kind of agree. They're,
1: they're obviously not in the same universe. They're playing with different stakes, they're completely different things. But it just goes back to my whole thing about consequence there were very clear consequences for everything that happened in Endgame. Like, notable people died, and they had to, and you understood that in order for them to win, there had to be great sacrifice, wherein in Thrones we didn't have those same consequences met. So, while Endgame did it perfectly, in my mind, Thrones then failed miserably by comparison.
0: Well, like you said, characters had to die and end their arcs. Captain America becoming old and Tony Stark snapping and saying, I am Iron Man are just two perfect endings to what yeah, was and a 10-year arc. I think
1: – yeah, and all of us went into this movie knowing that Captain America in some way, shape, or form wasn't coming out of it. Right. So I feel like all of us thought – I don't know if you thought the same thing. I thought when his shield was completely destroyed before um, all, the, all, the, um, all the faded – came back, I was like, oh, shit, this is, where, this is where Captain meets his maker. This is it. I'm ready for it. I'm preparing myself emotionally. So the fact that they even swerved and had Cap survive the fight and just age gracefully, I thought that was a fantastic swerve.
0: It was a nice uh, kind of go. I, I didn't think Tony would – well, I did, I did think Tony would die. I didn't think it would be the way he did. And I thought Captain America would die and it was against Thanos. But it was a nice like – it's hard to do an ending in any fantasy or any sort of story in general. It's really hard to end stories and not be cheesy and have satisfying endings. Tony Stark dying by snapping Thanos away and, and Captain America growing old with and just living out a perfect life that he wanted to live after accomplishing everything else was perfect for every way you wanted to end those stories.
1: I have no complaints yeah, and, with it at all. And, and Endgame, Endgame even one-upped it from... It it one upped itself from there because it set up like three more movies. It's, oh, it set up the next Guardians movie perfectly yeah, with Thor. Because now they're going to go on a mission. Yeah, they're gonna they're gonna go on a mission to find Gamora, and I'm sure Thor is going to go through some life changing shit in that as well. Mm-hmm. Um, they well, what was the other one they set up that I'm trying to think of that I now can't think about? Of they my head? they've
0: set up Doctor Strange 2 a little bit. They set up uh they've set up a couple different movies, so I'm, I'm very well, curious. Well, we know there's
1: gonna be a second Black Panther, though they didn't really set anything up for that. Nope. We know there's gonna be a second Spider Man. There's gonna be like five I more like...
0: Spider-Man's, dude. Like five. Yeah, but
1: at I least. I, just, I like I like that they they left it ambiguous enough where we all know the trailer's out there for far from home, but we still didn't know if the timeline was different. So Oh it is.
0: It turns we... out all, all Peter's friends got snapped, dude. So now they're all still around. That's what happened.
1: No, no, no. But I, like, I just, I like that we don't, we didn't know with that trailer if this was going to be like a exactly. Ant-Man thing, where Ant-Man and the Wasp was the same timeline as Infinity Wars, even though it came after Infinity Wars. Right. Um, and I want so to just I like, say, I like, like that.
0: it's really hard to do time travel, right? And this movie nailed it. It's hard yeah. to do time travel, and it, it didn't it feel is. cheap it, in this
1: it's, one. It's a, it's a, it's a very cheap movie trope, and they're like, no, no, our shit's got. Consequences as well, so you gotta and don't rules. fuck this up, kind of thing. Yeah. Um, I also, uh, I just loved how funny it was. Like, I, I understand that this is what Marvel does. I think better than almost any other cinematic universe. It knows exactly what it is, and all it wants to be is the best version of it. It's that. so self-aware. The uh, and it, it, there's so many references to other
0: great scenes in other movies, like the elevator fight in uh, Winter Soldier. And when he's in the elevator yep. and just says Hail Hydra. Oh, dude, when he, when, just he says, like, when he
1: says Hail Hydra, I think I went, you motherfucker.
0: I, I, like, I was giggling like a child. Like, I was like, "This, there's so much. And like, when he's fighting himself, he's like, I could do this all day. He goes, oh, I know, Jesus. Like, it's, <laughs> the writing has gotten so much better for all the characters. Because like Captain America and Thor and all those characters were kind of boring and bland when it first started. They became so well-developed and funny and quick and amazing after that. Oh, I know. That's America's ass. There's so many good lines
1: that the, are just the entire diner scene with Hulk and uh, Paul Rudd is maybe my favorite scene of any movie this entire year. What
0: you don't want to take a? He's Ant Man. You want to take a selfie just with? Just give him the fucking phone. <laughs> <laughs> just though I I don't see movies twice in theaters. I just don't do it. Oh, I w- I'm I will I'm one hundred percent
1: seeing this one again.
0: Yeah, I will be seeing it again. I I just don't see a way that I don't. One point two billion dollars in the first four days it was open god bless disney i guess because they jeez i wonder if disney thought thoughts to themselves like did we really just kill off robert downey jr he just made 102 point billion dollars or 1.2 billion dollars that's an insane investment we just got rid of
1: yeah but i mean it was time. it was time well it's, it's but they with the introduction of time travel they really can just bring them back whenever they want
0: like, yeah they can I wonder. I if hope
1: they don't. Yeah, I really they, hope they don't. I hope they just keep moving onward and upward. Um,
0: I think you might see Tony Stark as Iron Man again in 10 years.
1: but Well, no. I, think the only, I think the only way we see him is just like if a someone cameo. does a flashback to yeah. something. Mm-hmm. Uh, I just <laughs> – my last note about Endgame is uh, – were you laughing about the, the residual checks that were cashed in this movie as well? Like Natalie Portman shows up for literally five minutes. Natalie Portman. Um,
0: that was actually a bonus scene from Thor The Dark Age that they used
1: wasn't so she didn't even pop
0: in correct but she was at the open premiere
1: that's hilarious uh it was a lot more tilda swindon than i was expecting robert redford it was a lot more a lot more renee russo than i was expecting mm-hmm. um you
0: want to get your mets take out of the way now
1: no other team <laughs> no other team in baseball had the entire 40-man roster disappear like the New York Mets did, right? No, no. Like we know did. this.
0: Yeah, it just happened. Like, the
1: entire Phillies organization is intact. They're all alive. And then all 40 of the Mets on the 40-man roster uh, 100% faded. The I, I do like Except how the, the, the
0: Russo brothers were like, hey, I just missed the Mets.
1: That's <laughs> like, this is incredible. Just every... Was that the Russo brothers? It was, was that, yeah, that was the him. directors? In it was there? one of the that brothers.
0: Yeah, it was one of the brothers. All the directors were actually in the movie.
1: Um... Oh, I just love that Cork came back, too. Cork's my guy. I need more Cork.
0: They, everyone was in the movie, everybody, everyone that mattered in the Marvel universe for the most part made an appearance in the movie. And that was just incredible. They just, and nothing felt forced. The only forced moment that the internet was complaining about is when all the girls got together, which I thought was an awesome. Uh, dude, that
1: was hilarious. I turned to our friend Aaron and I, I looked him dead in the eye and I was like, people are going to be mad about this.
0: People will be mad. <laughs> I thought it was awesome. Uh, and I thought it was great. It, it, it was on the nose, but who cares? You know where you are. The best part of the movie though, is when, when, uh, when Kat picks up the hammer. Like you just get chills and you start.
1: Smiling. Oh yeah. Theater explode. Explode. I don't know anyone, everyone I've talked to um, admits to making some kind of noise. Like I, most of my theater did the, like uh, someone just hit a walk off home run noise. Yeah, like, oh, but <laughs> I did. I literally like squealed. I did. a. Ooh! Yeah. <laughs> like, I was going there. Nuts. There was just like a noise I made deep in my soul when that happened. And I was like, oh, I, I, I'm literally getting chills thinking about it now. And I, I'm telling you that I'm seeing this movie again after work tomorrow because I don't think I can go another day without
0: seeing it. When, when Captain America has like he has the hammer and the lightning comes down onto the hammer with him, you're like, oh fuck yeah, this is amazing. And I, there is a little bit of like power level issue where like they were almost fighting Thanos um, when he had all the gems and they were like taking him to the brink when he had gems. And this time Thanos was kicking their ass without the gems. But you know, it, it is what it is. It, it is by any, any situation. I thought it went. It was just amazing the whole thing. I can't complain at
1: all. Well. Yeah, I remember it is a younger Thanos than when they were fighting him in. It's true, uh, he aged in Infinity War. Yep, it wasn't. I they, mean, I,
0: I, they kill Thanos so quick in this movie; it's like, incredible. They like show up at his door and kick his ass in like five minutes. But the even movie.
1: that was on. But that's another thing that's just unexpected. It's like,
0: yeah,
1: did anyone expect Thanos to die within the first fifteen minutes of this movie? I did not. Oh,
0: I did not. It, at all.
1: I, it, it's hard to imagine a scenario where that movie could be better.
0: It's really tough, and. My, you know what really bothers me? A couple people that I like don't trust their reviews, but I, I got spoiled. A li- not spoiled, but I got spoiled by their reviews. And they were like, movie was good. Infinity War was better. I guess it's, I have it like a 7 out of 10. I was like, what are you, crazy? After I got of the movie, I was like, are you insane? What What did you want from that movie? I don't understand. The, it did everything.
1: The absolute only thing I would say they could have done better is uh, I wasn't in love with all the Captain Marvel stuff.
0: I don't love I didn't Captain love, Marvel. More yeah. more,
1: she wasn't more present in that movie.
0: Yeah, I, like, I have, I have I, to see I, the Captain, Captain Marvel movie. I haven't seen it, so I can't... Uh, yeah.
1: But, but like, for someone like you who hasn't seen the Captain... Our friend Vinny hasn't seen Captain Marvel, so he had a lot of Captain Marvel-related questions, and it was hard for me to explain all of them. Um, She's, so bon- if... She's
0: bonkers powerful. She's, like, stronger than Superman by a lot.
1: Yeah, so, like, uh, her powers derive from a power system that... Uh, the Remember cos- Ronan in Guardians of the Galaxy 1? Yeah. So Ronan is a Kree. And Captain Marvel was brought in by a Creed group that Ronan was a part of, not the leader of. Interesting. Jude Law was the leader of the Kree group. Yep, knew that. And the reason why they brought um, Danvers into the group is because they had sent a Kree warrior to Earth. To study this technology, she had perfected the technology, and then they realized Jude Law, who's the bad guy, this other person was turning on him, so they had to kill her. And Brie Larson acquired those powers in the explosion. Got it. Interesting. Uh, But that's really hard and convoluted to explain. With have you seen the movie?
0: I'll have to see it. I will. I, I I don't love. I like Brie Larson a lot. Don't love the casting for her, and that's the only issue. I felt like everyone else in the screen had some sort of personality, had some quirk, had some developed character.
1: Well, yeah, and... that, that's what I'm saying. They didn't give her a ton to do. And then if you hadn't seen Captain Marvel, you know even less about her. So you have the opinion that you currently are sharing. Like, I am not surprised you feel this way about Brie Larson as Captain Marvel. Um, and then I, I feel like if you had seen Captain Marvel, you'd be more disappointed that they didn't give her more to do. Because that was my disappointment.
0: 100%. Okay, I think we're done.
1: I think I think that's it. No guests saying we went what hour and a half?
0: Yeah, we did, and now we have a ten minute bonus extra to do for our Patreon subscribers. Oh, I keep forgetting we have the ten minute bonus. We do. All right, love we'll you guys. We'll anytime. see you next week. Bye.